Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of Monsters Who Murder. As usual, I'm joined by the serial killer whisperer, Amanda Howard. Amanda, it's the last episode of the season. I know, it's come around so quickly. I would have thought we're on about two or three, but we're at ten. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's interesting, we're doing Harold Shipman today. This is an interesting case. I feel like I really know the name, but I don't know him. Yeah, well, you're actually going to get to meet him a bit and and, um, having worked with a lot of doctors throughout my life, uh, there's some typical behaviours that you will see that you can probably see in your own doctor, which is a bit scary. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Sounds very interesting. Uh, That will be coming up in our psychological profile a little later on in the show. In the meantime, let's get into the news. And a Tamil-made film called Mafia Chapter 1 has found itself in deep water when it was discovered that they had used photos of Canadian serial killers, Bruce MacArthur's victims. What made it worse was that they were used on mugshots for criminals on a large police board. Amanda, what a stuff up. I know. Like, they should have done a little bit of research on that to see who these photos were before they used them. I mean, did they not think that people would notice, especially when this was going global, that people were going to see this and especially true crime fans were going to spot those and they're victims. It's not even like that they use Bruce MacArthur. That's the thing that gets me. These are victims. How did they become mugshots? Now, I know this... Was a was a film, and so maybe they just didn't think much of the photos they were using. But how do they end up with victims of a serial killer? I think they've just gone on online and just looked up, you know, photos of white men, and mm-hmm. they came up because if you do look up sort of white men criminals, you will find, you know, white men, Bruce MacArthur, who killed people, and they would have just gone, oh yeah, that that'll do, you know. Print, 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 well, chuck it in into the shot. But they've actually had to blur them out, which is a good thing going forward. But they're not going to do that for a couple of weeks purely because they've been locked out of their studio. So it's quite shocking that this happens. And this is why, you know, I've, I've, I've been talking on our Facebook page that you need to check and double check. You need to make sure that you, you have dotted your I's and crossed all of your T's mm. because things like this can happen and it, it can have serious implications for people. It's um, just remind us about Bruce MacArthur. He was Canadian and he was killing his gay lovers, wasn't he, from memory? 
That's right, and he was um, burying their bones in uh, pot plants and in properties that he was looking after as basically a groundskeeper sort of person. Yeah. So, um, and they dug for many of of his victims, you know, for months and months because they knew that they were around somewhere. And so the fact that um that, that this has happened, I just I just can't get my head around such a faux pas. This was also one of those cases where the police were denying, um the fact that there was a serial killer but ultimately had to act when they were following MacArthur and uh, he basically had his next victim in his apartment. Yeah, I mean, this has happened time and again. And this case, doing all of of this database research I'm doing, actually pops up quite a lot that other people were screaming, saying, hey, we've got a gay killer, someone is killing our gay men around Toronto, someone needs to act, someone needs to do something, these people are disappearing, we don't know where they're going. At the same time, you see the reports from police, no, don't know what you're talking about, just because these people all sort of fit into a similar victimology, the police were denying what they were actually investigating Mm. in the background. Yeah, it is interesting that the right of the public to know and getting in the way of an investigation, but Mm. uh, they ultimately got there and they got their man, basically. But interesting, the flip side of how this has become a story again because some photos were used in a movie. Just bizarre. It's weird. Meanwhile, an interesting study into how murder can continue to affect people's lives 27-year-old Matthew Spencer, who stabbed his father to death in central New South Wales, Australia, claims that Jay-Z's music made him kill, but also claims that his life took a downward turn after his friend, David Alcelone, was murdered by Matthew Malat, the great-nephew of deceased serial killer Ivan Malat. Spencer has pleaded not guilty by reason of mental illness. The case is continuing. Amanda, this is really... It's an age-old debate. Can movies and music make you kill? Well, people would expect me to say no, but I'm actually of the opposite opinion, purely because I have been completely affected by films and books. Had I not read Silence of the Lambs, I wouldn't be doing this. So, but I took it that way. I mean, some people would have read it and wanted to be Hannibal Lecter and there is people out there that have done that. Others have gone the other other route and we've ended up being criminologists and psychiatrists yeah, and all but that, this sort that, of stuff. That, there you go. That's what was in you. Of course, movies, television and video games and music all affects us in one way or another. It does not create killers. And this no. age-old thing of politicians wanting things banned, you know, get rid of this, get rid of that, because it's turning people, you know, video games are turning kids into killers. It's not a thing, in my opinion. No, um, it's not going to be, you know, gee, I, I bought Grand Theft Auto and so now I'm going to go out and smash up cars. But the person that is sort of inclined towards that sort of violence, it's going to say, you know, well, I can do this, you know, this speed drift or whatever they call that that move. They are going to try it. There, are, there is going to be people out there who want to do what they've seen on film. We've and seen like that. a Slender Man girls who who killed, you know, there's people. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Denyer was inspired by the Stepfather films to go and kill. So if, if you're that way inclined and you're looking for that moment to tell you what to do, like Matthew Spencer here, he says there was a line in, in one of the Jay-Z songs that says, what are you waiting for or something like that. Um, he then thought, well, yes, that's the moment. You can't ever know, though, what's going to trigger someone. And this is a problem with our society at the moment. We're trying to stop anyone being triggered about anything and the problem is it's not that simple because someone could be triggered by a bird sitting on a tree you know and it it happens 
Exactly. Things like that do happen. There has been people, you know, a girl walked past because she was wearing a pink dress and he doesn't like pink. That's why that person killed. It's not the reason, it's not the blame of the victim. It's not exactly. anything. There is something that makes these killers choose the people they want to kill. And sometimes it is because they're emulating, you know, she looks like Salma Hayek. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's tall like... Um, a tall actor, I have no idea. Who you know, weirdly, of. I thought of Tom Cruise, but then I went, he is not a tall no. actor. I've <laughs> gone the completely the opposite way. <laughs> it's crazy when you try and think of someone you can't. I, I, I was thinking of Seth Rogen, but I couldn't think of his his name, and I don't think he's all that tall either. But it, it's it's what Conan happens. O'Brien. There you go. Is, <laughs> is he tall? Yes. Oh, okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> gee, we've gone off on a tangent here, but it doesn't matter. But, yeah, it, it is things that inspire people to do things. Like I, I watched a YouTube clip today that told me about some um, 50 horror films that you've never heard of that, that you should see. Tonight I'm going to watch four of them. That's how I've been reacted. But there will be others who go, oh, my God, I just watched this gore scene in, you know, the guinea pig trilogy or whatever it's called, and they will go and do that. Yes, I'm amazed at your restraint. I would have thought you'd be watching all 50 for the next 48 hours or something. Uh, Well, I have to do a 48-hour sleep deprivation, so it may happen. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, an Australian serial killer, Peter Dupas, is again being questioned over three cold case murders from more than two decades ago. Dupas is already in prison for life for the murders of three women. A former inmate has come forward claiming that Dupas often boasted over the cold case murders but at other times would deny any involvement. Interviews conducted by police with Dupas over the years has failed to come to any conclusion. Dupas's first stint in prison was in 1974 for what the judge called one of the worst rapes that could be imagined, but was released only a few years later to rape and murder more women. I don't know about this case, Amanda. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Well, in season eight, you'll get to hear a lot more about it. (laughs) Okay, spoilers. (laughs) But, yeah, now he is one of Australia's most violent criminals and yet, like you, a lot of people have never heard of of this guy. Now, he actually brutalised and raped several women as well as his victims that he he killed. He would actually, like, go into, into their homes and just torture them until he raped them and then killed them. And even one of his victims, Messina, she was actually killed in a cemetery where she had gone to lay flowers, you know, and he just had no self-control, no no anything except to do what he wanted and he was so violent. And so to find out that there is three other cases that sort of match the three that he's been found guilty of and he has been questioned a couple of times over mm. the years about these cases but it's never sort of come to fruition. But the police are getting more confident that they're actually going to be able to pin him with these cases. Right. But so, Yeah, but saying that, like we always say that they like to find a serial killer and then fit the crimes to mm. him rather than the other other way around so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes but another prisoner who was in with him claims that he had boasted about that these three cold cases so you don't know but we haven't we talked about the fact that we often hear of killers boasting in prison about murders even if they haven't committed them you know they're trying to be the big man in the prison can the information gained in these conversations be trusted 
It can't be trusted uh, purely because often there is gain from it. So the the criminal who comes forward and says, oh, look, the other guy and myself said this, what are you going to give me? And they say, well, yeah. you know, we'll cut six months off. It sort of it taints that um, desire to be truthful because then they're going to offer you a lot more. So, you know, the police might say, well, tell us about this case and this case. And did he mention this one? And and it can get to a place that it, it, it loses all sense of, of truth. Mm. So, you know, you have to sort of take it with a grain of salt, which is why, you know, it can't just go on the confessions or the hearsay, which is, you know, you, you can't go in court. Uh, the hearsay of a other criminal. So what they need to do is go and find the evidence to match. But if they have a starting point, it's certainly going to help. Mm. Well, we will be profiling Harold Shipman in a few moments when Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions returns. Over the break, between seasons, we will be uploading more cold case collections to our Patreon page. So if you want to hear those, go to patreon.com slash MWM Confessions and our live recording in front of our Patreon $20 subscribers will be coming very soon, so make sure you get in in time for that one. We'll be right back on Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And Robin Robbo. Media executive Rob McKnight. Something brand new is coming to your social media feed. Big Brother winner Ben Norris. This is something bold and informative with a side of humour. And journalist David Robbo Robinson. It's truly going to be something different. The Ben Robin Robbo Show starts April 20. Go to tvblackbox.com.au slash BRR for more information. It's the Ben Robin Robbo, Ben Robin Robbo, Ben Robin Robbo. Oh no, this guy, that's hot dogs. It's not hot dogs. It's Ben Norris. He was the winner of Big Brother on the first year of Channel 9. Um, many people would know David Robinson from Studio 10. He was the reporter there. And, yeah, we're gearing up for a new video show, Amanda. It's very exciting. April 20 it starts. It will go into the TV black box uh, social media feeds on April 20 at 1 o'clock. We yeah. will be doing it live Monday to Thursday, wow. 1 o'clock for an hour every day, we're talking. And it's hot... a game changer. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's going to be looking at hot topics, entertainment. It'll have some very interesting guests. I'm assuming you will be coming on very soon, Amanda. I haven't asked you yet, but I'm just factoring you in. Well, if it bleeds, it leads, and <laughs> if you want to talk blood, who else to have on the show? <laughs> well, I am definitely getting you on. You can be sure of that. So, any fans of Monsters Who Murder, you better. Within the first couple of weeks, we'll make sure we've got Amanda in. So take a look. If you can't be watching live for the 1 o'clock uh, Sydney time feed, it will be on those social media channels on replay. It's also being picked up by 
Ticker TV, which is oh, a wow. streaming service in Australia, which is uh, great news for us. And mm-hmm. uh, Shavina, who is a, one of our Patreon members who gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning to join <laughs> our video conference calls, you don't have to get up live to watch this show, Shavina. You can actually just watch the replay. I, I, I will not hold that against you. So, yes, please feel free to watch the replay. Knowing her, though, she'll be there live watching it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our psychological profile of the week. And Dr. Harold Fred Shipman is suspected of being one of the most prolific serial killers of the modern age, with numbers in the hundreds. As an angel of death, the patients who put their trust in him also met their end at his hand. UK's Newsnight was provided with snippets of the police tapes and we'll be playing those today. The first glimpse the world got of Shipman was in September 1998, just prior to his arrest. When news crews arrived on his doorstep, the infamous photo we now know of him was taken. This is how he handled that moment. I find it weird that he was advised to let them take their photographs. What's all that about? Well, obviously he knew what was coming, that he was about to be arrested. He obviously has his lawyer inside. There's probably a whole stack of paparazzi outside waiting to take his photo. So it's like either go out there and do this or not. So he's gone out there smug as a bug and just decided that, yes, I'm just going to stand there and I'm going to look um, congenial. I'm going to look like just a normal doctor, you know, greying beard, you know, an attractive older man, you know, he's he's almost to the point of being condescending, but he's just 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 at that point he won't go over it, you know. I know a lot of doctors and this is actually quite a t- typical behavior of them. You know, the, the the god complex isn't so prevalent in GPs, it's more in surgeons and 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 like those specialists. But this is a glimpse of what is about to come with uh, with Shipman, you know. This is a man who's in complete control who has got away with murdering hundreds of patients. Mm. So when he is just standing there staring at these people, he goes, I've been told to stand here and smile and take your photo and now I'm going back inside. You know, he's looking from the producer to the cameraman. He knows how to play this. He is ready to just say, you're all wasting my time. I don't need to do this. This is what's going to happen and that's what happened. It's interesting because it is a smart move from his lawyers from the point of view that if paparazzi are trying to get that Uh, money shot of him, he could be looking like a monster. If he goes out and smiles for the cameras, as you said, it's this grandfatherly figure, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly wearing, wearing his cardigan and just, you know, looking like anyone's granddad. So it's actually a smart move from that point of view. Um, What was his childhood like? Well, we're about to meet this very um, well-to-do man who, who believes he's better than everyone else, but he actually grew up in government housing in the lower class and he was um, the centre child out of three and his father, who was also Harold Frederick Shipman, which always gets to me, but that's a whole other issue that, that we'll talk about one time, um, okay. he was actually a, a truck driver and he was away often. So he sort of had this fantasy life of his father who would come and go and his mother was actually quite quite elderly and sick from a very young age and and she actually palliated at home so um you know the nurses and doctors would, would come into the home they would give her high doses of morphine to control her pain so he saw what morphine could do from a very young age um i think he was a teenager when she died and he just had this this almost epiphany of this is what he wants to do he wants to help 
people die essentially by watching his mother. The morphine angle is interesting because that was the way he would kill his patients. Oh, yes. You know, this is exactly right. He was selecting middle class or elderly women. Um, He would give them overdoses of either morphine or diamorphine, which most people would know as heroin, um, when he would actually go to their homes for a home consult. So he would be alone with his victims when he did this and he would give them an overdose. So he would then call back later to see how they were and, you know, people would be around going, oh, she actually passed away, you know, and most people wouldn't suspect anything was going on. That mm. it, m- most of these deaths were a shock. It's not like he, he was going into a cancer ward or anything like that. A lot of these women were actually quite fit and healthy for their ages, but he would actually go in and some cases went for a long time before he killed them. It's not like he would turn up and say, hi, I'm, I'm the new GP, but it did happen sometimes like that. But most of the time he would spend a lot of time with these patients. He would gain their trust and he would actually have them change their wills. So it, it would benefit him before ah. he would then kill them. Huh. Right. Okay. Well, we often hear about the steady nature of serial killers. In this clip, Dr Bernie Bedford told Newsnight about Shipman's early adult years. I don't remember him getting particularly drunk. I don't remember getting him getting into any trouble. Um, he was very middle of the road, controlled, sensible. Um, didn't push the boundaries. Didn't didn't appear to try to push the boundaries. Somebody who we, you would think in the future would be a good, respectable, responsible doctor. It's the perfect disguise, Amanda. It is the perfect disguise. We have the devil hiding in plain sight. You know, he actually had drug abuse and he actually had issues with blacking out and would fake uh, prescriptions for pethidine for his own use. So what he showed people and what was actually going on was two very different things. His wife would actually have to drive him to home visits because he would either lose his licence or he would be so strung out on drugs that he had prescribed for other people that he was taking himself that um, he couldn't drive. Well, he killed his first known patient, Winifred Mellor, in 1998. Father Dennis Ma arrived at Mrs Mellor's home to read last rites when Shipman returned to certify the death. He just breathed past me, totally ignored me. He also never looked at Mrs Mellor, uh, whose remains were in, in, in the chair. Um, she, was, she was there dead at the time. And he just immediately went for... Um, her daughters and immediately began talking at them rather than talking to them. His opening statement was, you do know your mother had a heart condition, don't you? And she wouldn't accept treatment and she wouldn't go to the hospital. And almost without pausing said, have you got an undertaker? You know, Shipman was convicted of this murder as one of the 15 charges that were pursued. Why did he act this way? Well, I mean, people in grief will do exactly what they're told, basically, and he wanted her to be dispatched of quite quickly. He wanted her to be cremated, you know, which, like, we've just heard a very, very Irish Catholic priest, you know, which would have gone sort of against his his own thoughts. But she, he wanted to make sure the evidence was gone because, as we said, this is his first known murder. So he would be panicking like all God knows and to think that he had to come into this house where there's all these people around he was the last person to treat her and he's actually come in and signed the death certificate which now can't happen. There has to be two doctors to sign and go through bits and pieces. 
Um, but he just knows to, just to take over and to get it done. There's an arrogance which just continues to come up over and over and over. Mm. But basically he says, I'm the doctor, this is what has to happen now. And so the whole family's gone, oh, okay, you know, but even um, this priest just is sort of saying, you know, it was a bit odd for him him to come in and rule the roost the way he did. Hmm. Well, asked about the death of Mrs Kathleen Grundy, have a listen to what Shipman had to say. I think it was a cause of death. Faith and adults of morphine or biomorphine. They've asked you to comment about that. And I have commented. I've said that my, my suspicion that she was actually abusing a narcotic of some sort. I'm not suggesting she took drugs every day. Far from it. But the scenario is there and, I, and she did have He's actually putting the blame on the victim and ruining their reputation by calling them a drug addict. Yes, I mean, we have a doctor and so everyone's going to believe what he says and he's like, you know, I really didn't want to tell you this but this is what was going on because he wants them to to look somewhere else. This is, you know, a, a misdirection of, of epic proportions. He's trying to have them believe that it's anything but him doing the bad. So mm. he has, has come up with this theory and and this is a later victim. So they're sort of going... Well, okay, if she had a drug history, well, why isn't there anything else to back this up? And this is where they started to believe that there was something else going on. Ah, so he overreached. Yeah, absolutely. Um, If we remember back to the interview with Beverly Allett, this is the exact opposite end of the reactionary scale. Yeah, well, she went high pitch. She she was arguing. She was, you know, talking over them. She was declaring her innocence. Now... Shipman's doing it, but in a very different way. He's extremely calm and he's talkative, but he doesn't have that need to fill the void, which is very important. He will answer what's being asked, but he doesn't want to give extra info, but he seems to do it just a little bit here and there. And in the official police interview, he actually goes silent. Explain the scene for us. Oh, this is insane. So, so, so that we finally get to the official interview as he's been arrested. He's actually sitting with his back to, to the table, so he's turned his whole chair around. Yeah, can I ask, they they had obviously set up for a certain style of interview with uh, with someone sitting next to him, the police opposite him, but when you see that video, he's actually got his, the chair is facing away from the table and facing towards a wall. Yeah, I mean, this isn't just like a swivel chair. He has turned that chair around and sat down, like a three-year-old would do when, you know, you just said no to them. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. You know, he's on one side of the table, the police are on the other, and they will continue to actually put photos in front of him saying, tell us about this case, tell us about this case. And he will actually continue to face away and turn his head if he has to. He's actually got his eyes closed for most of the time and he's got his hands folded. Literally he's throwing a tantrum thinking that this is beneath him and he shouldn't be there. He He's almost rocking back on his chair. He's sort of pushing himself back so he's inclined just slightly but not an, enough that it looks like he's slouching. He's just sitting back saying this is a waste of time. But he's silent, you know. He's in suit pants and a shirt and his glasses are on but we only get to see the back of his head for this whole interview purely because he will not turn around. He will not even acknowledge being in that room. Well, let's have a listen to some of that police interview as shown on Real Crime Docker. If you'd like to look at that, just for the benefit of the tape, 
Dr. Shipman's eyes are closed and we didn't look at the photograph at all. Can you remember Lily Crossley at all? Okay, no answer. If I can also, it's going to be awkward this, you've been standing up and walking around, but I think this is what we're going to have to do. You might want to just sit back a little bit. The detectives ploughed on. We'll now move on to the um, next death which we've investigated, uh, Dr Shipman. This is in relation to the death of a lady called Elizabeth Pierce. Again, Shipman refused to look at the image of a woman he had probably murdered. That's Elizabeth Pierce. Uh, the three ladies there, it's the elderly lady dressed in black. And for the benefit of the tape, Dr Shipman's eyes are closed. So the police officer just said he's shown him the photograph, his eyes are closed. This is not someone being interviewed who is cooperating with police. No, he's doing nothing. He's, he's, he's not being uncooperative. He's just doing nothing. So he's sitting there, eyes closed. He is not engaging whatsoever. He does not want them to see any reaction from him. So by having his head down, his eyes closed, they can't get those moments from him where he, you know, could take a deep breath, which he does do later on in, in the interview. That he tries to do everything he can to, to remain solid and still whilst they're throwing accusations of murder at him. You know, he's compartmentalising what he's done so he can be here. He is there. He's listening to every word. He's not shutting it out. He is he's avoiding what's going on. This is really a tantrum and he's basically saying, you're wasting my time. He thinks that this is going to get him out, that they're going to go, oh, well, you're not going to answer me. Well, you can go home now. It's not going to happen that way, but that's what he thinks he can but do. That just seems totally bizarre to me that you would think that way. By not cooperating, you look guilty, even if you were innocent. You, you, you know, if you've got nothing to hide, why are you shutting your eyes? Why are you turning your back on us? That's a hostile um, person in my yeah, book, absolutely. even though he's not physically being hostile and violent. But these acts are hostile. Yeah. I'm turning my back on you. I'm closing my eyes when you're trying to show me something. Yeah, I mean, and this is why we do this show because none of them follow a pattern. You know, we mm. all talk about profiling and, you know, serial killers are 25 white males, blah, 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 blah. This show actually does this. We show that they all act differently. We know the we know the end result. We know what they've done. We know their victims. We know the body count. But this is actually looking at how they all react differently. And this is a very different response to any of the others that we've seen so far. We haven't had a killer basically not answer a single question. There are mm. others that go, you know, no response. Like we saw Beverly Allett a few weeks ago that she actually was then um, given a script by her lawyer to say certain things like I have no mm. response to that. All of this sort of stuff. There's all these different ways that they respond this is a different way and this is just someone who is feeling superior to what's going on he is not going to play the game he's goes basically going to take his bat and his ball and leave as soon as he can well if you thought shipman was being passive aggressive before he's about to take it to a whole new level would you want to make any comment doctor no comment i just want to point out that was actually a yawn. What you just heard then was a yawn that was him 
yawning during a police interview. Let's play that clip again. Would you want to make any comment? Doctor. No comment. Amanda, he's yawning during a police interview when they're trying to talk to him about multiple murders. Is he tired, bored or just plain evil? Well, he's certainly not tired. I mean, even if they did this for hours and hours on end, he would have his adrenaline pumping, you know, but he's using the yawn as a complete and utter act of contempt. It is a childish sign from him to to say, I don't care. I'm not answering your questions. This is a waste of of my time. I'm important and you are not. This is Mm. all he's doing. You know, he's not going to give them satisfactory answers. You know, they are showing him respect. They're calling him doctor. They're being polite. You know, they're even trying to joke thinking, you know, oh, this is going to be a fun interview if he's not going to answer. And they try and break down that facade of his. They know that it's there. They know that he's there and he is is responding in his own way. This is why they often record these sorts of, of interviews because what happens later is that they ask him about one victim and he gives a twitch, he holds his breath, and that's all they need. But at the time you don't see that because the police mm. are thinking, oh, my God, I've got a, a serial killer of 315 people in front of me. You know, I've just got to get the answers I can get, if mm. anything. So this is why they can then go back later and watch his actual physical responses to what's going on. But, yeah, no, that yawn was just a, a, an F you to them. Hmm. Well, the interview actually doesn't go for that long. They chose to only focus on 15 cases. Why is that? Well, he was going to get a whole life tariff anyway, which in in the UK is life without parole. So he wasn't going anywhere. But it left him with a few cases up their sleeves should they need them, you know, because you can go to appeal and things can happen and they can get thrown out. Let's look at George Pell just this week who's had his whole case thrown out by the High Court. You know, these sort of things happen. So by not putting all their eggs in one basket, if... Some of these cases fell through. They've got more to back up. So they always have these times and dates set up because you don't know if in 20 years' time they decide that um, life tariffs no longer exist like they do with the death penalty. That's why Charles Manson wasn't executed. Um, If they decide to do that and then they go, well, you're now eligible for parole, well, they can do the parole and then next week the police will um, arrest him for the next 20 killings. Right. You know, it gives them sort of that legal extra just, you know, just to keep it all going. Sometimes it's easier to go for broke for people that they know are going in and that's it. But for cases like this where it's a bit iffy because, you know, this is one of the first cases that happened like this. There was John Bodkin Adams that happened almost a century before and he actually got off because it's really hard to prove an angel of death, and he had hundreds of, of victims as well. Mm. And because he he was acquitted of any of, of the crimes, there was never sort of a need to sort of look at what doctors can and can't do, you know, because uh, Shipman was signing all of his own death certificates. So it's something that should have happened as a reform 100 years ago but is now happening now because of the Shipman case. So when we look at things like this, they go for 10 because they know that they can, well, 15 in this case, they know that they've got enough to go here and if they need to, they've got 20 years to get the evidence for the next lot. Well, in the end, as you said, Harold Shipman was sentenced to life imprisonment with a whole life tariff order meaning he was never going to be released. Yet the grieving families of his victims were robbed of any sense of justice when Shipman took his life on the day before his 58th birthday on January 13, 2004. He was found by prison guards having hanged himself in his cell at Wakefield Prison. 
Amanda, that brings us to the end of the Shipman case, and it was a shorter case. So before we go, I thought it might be good if we answer some viewer questions that have come through on our social media feeds. Yeah. So why don't we start with Jazz, who has asked, when are you coming to the UK? Would love to see your collection of crime memorabilia. Well, the... the uh the plan was to head next year once I'd done a couple of um, events here in Australia that so I could pay to ship everything over there. So now that's a bit up in, in the air, but I reckon within the next two years um, we'll definitely get the museum there. And, of course, wherever I go, I drag Robert along to, to do a podcast anyway. I didn't so. know I was going to the UK. <laughs> Love the UK, love London. <laughs> Me too. London's my my heart's home. So um, we are definitely <laughs> going to go to UK and, as I said, I'll drag Robert with me. We have on-air production meetings, basically. <laughs> yeah, this we is do, where we, we find out what each other's doing. <laughs> um, Melissa asked, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that despicable Pell monster. That Catholic cult seems to have paid its way again disgraceful. Now, I don't know what you're going to say about this, Amanda. <laughs> I just want to clarify yeah, before yeah, we move no on. Words. So I'll let Robert say allegations, innocent. So all what has of happened? Words. What has happened is uh, Cardinal George Pell was found guilty of historic sexual assault uh, and was sentenced to jail by a jury. That decision has been overturned by the High Court of Australia. Pell has now walked free. Um, so we have to presume that he is innocent in the in the eyes of the law. Uh, the victim involved in this who came forward actually released a statement saying that um, he believes in our court process and understands that the prosecution were not able to put up a case that showed without reasonable doubt that Pell was guilty. So it is... Um, Whatever you think of him and whatever you're about to say, Amanda, we must look at the eyes of the yes. law where he has been found innocent. But this is a very emotional case for a lot of people, especially people in the Catholic Church, who looked at this case as a way of starting to heal the wounds of a lot of the abuse that happened, especially here in Australia. Uh, what we have here is a case where uh, the church has more cash than anyone else involved. So let's start there. Next, we have the fact that they actually dropped some of the cases early on. So we do hopefully have a plan B. That's what I'm hoping, that once he went to jail for some of the cases, like what we just talked about in Shipman, they said we're not going to pursue the other cases at this time. Doesn't mean next week that they don't go forward with, with those. So people have faith not in the church and not in the courts. The difficult thing with that is the political... Um pressure on this. Uh, Pell actually has a lot of high profile people supporting him, people in the media that have very loud voices that are conservative commentators that have stood by him the entire time. And you, the Victoria police will understandably have to factor that in because they will get pages and pages of you're just trying to attack him. Um, there will be a lot of commentary around if they start taking him back into court. It's a very tricky one. That's yep. not to say they shouldn't do it because if they do believe there is wrongdoing, it absolutely should be prosecuted. But it's just not as simple as that. In other words, Robert's told me to shut up because he knows I'd go <laughs> on and on and on. So I won't say any more, anything more. I agree. I think it's disgraceful. You know, the whole country's locked down, but George Pell walked free. I mean... And we also just talked about last week how people in the UK are not getting their parole. Um, we had 
John Venables uh, last week. Yep. Um, basically, his parole has been put on hold during the Corona-19 crisis and so not getting his day in court, as it were. Um, yep. Let's move on. Bianca asked, I don't know if you have answered this before, but how did you start talking to serial killers? Did you just start writing to them one day? <laughs> it's really odd that this actually does come up quite often. Um, it basically goes back to when I was doing my original criminology bachelor and um, I was reading a book and I know I've got it here. One day I'm actually going to have to dig it out and find the fact in it that was wrong. Um, it was something about Ivan Malat picking up one of his victims and I knew it was wrong because I had followed the case and, and this um, this textbook was wrong. So I decided, well, why am I reading a very expensive third-hand incorrect piece of rubbish when I can actually go, <laughs> let's, let, let's be honest here, um, when I can go to have the source and actually ask them directly. So I started writing to serial killers. Um, Ivan wasn't one of the first I spoke to. Um, he come about a year later. But um, it, it, it all started quite quickly and quite early and there's a lot of serial killers I've written to over the years. Some have stayed, some have left, some have come and gone. Um, but, yeah, it's just something I started to do purely to get information from, from the source rather than going third and fourth hand. Now, you just did something that comes up in our comments section a lot. You swapped the word come and came. Even though oh, as a my. writer you are able to do that, like you, you write it properly, but when you're speaking it comes out the wrong way. Now, what a I lot of people... Dialect. It, it could be, but I also wondered um, what a lot of people might not know. When she was younger, she actually hit her head on the toilet. And uh, <laughs> thanks, Robert. <laughs> I, I, I passed out. I had a fit, and I hit the toilet bowl on the way down. Yes, and it, it did. It, it actually caused a lot of damage to mm -hmm. Amanda at the time. And I actually wondered if that may have um, made me say, "Come." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I don't know, I, because I, I don't hear it and I and I don't even know what I just said then where I said it wrong. So I apologise, but I think it's local dialect. But um, being an author doesn't mean that I know every single word and, and I'm but a But when you Nazi. write it down, you write it clearly. Oh, okay. You know, we, we, we correspond over email yeah. all the time and it's never a problem on email. Okay. It's only literally when you're speaking. Yeah, but I also have editors and stuff for my books. So but I'm I've, saying that yeah, even when you're strange. just writing yourself, you don't yep. do that. Yep. But also a lot of people also don't know that I have a massive starter and you'll all hear it now. Robert gets a lot of the out of our episodes, <laughs> but it does come through sometimes. So there is that as well that it may just be an easier word to say. I'm not quite sure, but it seems to happen and I never hear it. So I'm totally unaware and so I to totally don't know how to change it because I don't hear it. So mm. anyway. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that yeah. in. Holly asked, hey, Amanda, how would I find information on murder from mid-1990s that's in another state to me? Google was nearly no help at all. <laughs> well, I would answer that one and say, send us a letter. If Amanda finds the case interesting, we'll do it here on Monsters Who Murder. Yeah, well, Holly sent this to me and so I checked it on her profile because I wanted to know what other state, like to know what country she's from so I could actually decide, you know, what sort of places to point her to. And her um, her profile on Facebook says that she's from Antarctica, so that made it a bit tricky. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in all honesty, she is in Australia and Australian cases are quite hard. You actually need to dig quite um, micro 
microscopically basically to to try and find what what you want and um there is a website called trove which is run by the national library of australia which has uh australian newspapers going back to like i think 1790 i think it's basically the first one that turned up oh really and yes and it's all free so that is always a good place to start. I spend a lot of my life on Trove. Um, there is a US equivalent site and a British site as well, but they both cost quite a lot and I do have subscriptions to those, um, but they aren't free. So, But Trove in Australia is free. Now, an issue with that, though, is because it's um, an OCR of a old newspaper and often the printing's not good, it may be hard to find them purely because you actually need to go in and look at the actual newspaper itself rather mm. than that the text is tried to transcribe because um, if it can't read the print well enough, it, it's, it, it comes out as, as a jumbled mess. So sometimes it's like worth knowing, okay, I need to go to 1872 in January and start trailing through newspapers. That's what I spend a lot of time doing. So they have an electronic copy, but if, it, if the information's not right, you actually need to go and look at the photos yep. of the paper. Yeah, and and oh, well, it's, it's 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 on the same page um, in front right. of you, so so it's tip for tap basically. Um, you can actually register for them and do those editing. So any cases I've come across, I've actually gone in and, and fixed the typing. That that there's people that do it as a full time job at libraries across the country, but um, there's lots of users that do it too. Oh, okay. Gina asked, I'd like to know if anyone you've ever written to has shown true remorse, not an act as far as you can tell, or are they are all or are they all just an act, if that makes sense? Yes, it makes total sense, Gina. Um there is some that show remorse, um, purely because hallelujah, they found God. Um, so I don't believe that for a second, purely because I think a lot of these criminals find God because the only interaction they have besides guards and criminals is religious instructors that actually come into the, the prisons and talk to them, that they really have no other way except to be brainwashed into believing what, what they're told. Um, but there is people like David Burney I've, I've spoken about a lot. David actually wanted to use his history as a serial killer to help the WA police find the Claremont serial killer. He believed that he could help in that by by sort of showing them um, how a serial killer thinks and everything. So I, I sort of worked a bit with the WA police and David Burney in that, but they sort of weren't really interested. So I wasn't sure if they had a suspect back then, which it doesn't, doesn't seem to be that there was. Um, but it was something that we did try to do because the serial killer wanted to help. And, and it's not remorse per se, but it's more about... Um, he's done the crime, he's prepared to pay the time and he and he killed himself as, as part of that punishment. But he was also willing to be used as a, as, as a research subject to actually see what we can do about our future serial killers. Mm. All right, if you ever want to ask Amanda a question, a great place to go is our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash mwmconfessions. Let's talk about the future just before we wrap up on Season 7. We've got a lot more cold cases to talk about, the cold case collection. Um, Amanda, you have something like 135 cases on your episode list. We've done 10. Yes, so I've got a lot of writing to do and a lot of research and a lot of deep diving to do because there is some cases I want to do as a big 
multi-episode case. Like um, I'm currently working on JonBenet Ramsey. I've done four episodes ready to go for that, but it's wow. going to be about 10 episodes. Um, but, yeah, there's at least 135 cases that I want to look at. That's without even looking online or to look for other cases. That's just 135 I had in my head. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I, I eat, breathe and sleep serial killers sometimes. And uh, But my cold cases are always my favourite. And you're also looking at doing a season on the Kennedys. Well, the Kennedys are such an important um, family in US history and I'm such a Kennedy freak. I have spent most of my criminal history life looking at the Kennedy cases and it's not just about the assassinations of Bobby and Jack but it's also about um, Chappaquiddick, it's about Martha Moxley and the various plane crashes and the untimely deaths of so many people involved in the Kennedy clan that I think it's just something different just to show that... um, beyond serial killers and mass murderers and cold cases that we can actually look at other things involved as well. Mm. Well, maybe we'll have to get Judge Rob to decide who killed Kennedy. Oh, my God, I cannot wait for that, everyone. If you just do Patreon just for the Kennedy season, I want to know what (laughs) Judge Rob thinks in all of these assassinations. Ah, well, we'll have to get on that. Hey, everybody, thank you very much for being part of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions this season. We're only going to take a few weeks off and then we will be right back with Season 8. Can you believe it's season eight already, Amanda? (laughs) I know. I cannot wait. And I know that a few people have asked about um, cases that are coming up, like um, BTK. BTK is going to be uh, the finale for the year, actually. So you have to hold on until then. It's going to be season 10, episode 10 is going to be BTK. And we're going to be all over that. And Robert's smiling. He has no idea what he's got himself in for. And someone else asked about Hang on, you just said season 10, episode 10. Are you saving BTK for season Season 10? Or yes, I mean... am. No, oh, I'm, wow. no, it's season 10. I am all over this. I know I've got 25 seasons set up. You know, I, know you have. I know you have. I know <laughs> and you someone have. else asked about um, Richard Ramirez, and he's actually the finale for next season. So he is coming. The revolting slime bag, one of the serial killers that I've hated more than anyone in, in this world. So I will try and not be biased, but you know that I get a bit passionate about things like this. I think you're allowed <laughs> to be biased against serial killers. As I said anyway it's a a lot to come your way so thank you for being part of our little monsters who murder family as weird as that is to say but (laughs) until we see you in a few weeks i'm rob mcknight with amanda howard the serial killer whisperer and we'll see you soon tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations good news Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.